big part of what I, I, I talk about is being having a healthy level of resilience because before it was like walls up, I'm going to push you away before you can hurt me. Uh, and then, you know, to learning to break those down over time and also learning to have very different choices because many, you know, people will not have experienced the like trauma, you know, that and abuse maybe that you and I did, but we all deal with obstacles and challenge. And right. so I believe we, you know, it is, I, I'm, I'll say, feel the emotion. Like I'm all marshmallow inside. I'm going to have an emotion, whether it's actually anger or sadness, like I'm going to have the emotion quickly, but then I have the ability to make a choice in terms of how I'm then going to move forward. Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. Welcome, Persisters. It's Lisbeth, of course, and I am very excited to have Victoria Pelletier today as our Persistence You guest. Victoria is a keynote speaker. She was a COO for a company at the age of 24, contributing author to a book called Unstoppable. Victoria had a life of some really pretty serious abuse and spent some time, I think, in foster care and was adopted. So she certainly had her share of obstacles, but has not let them get in her way. And so I'm really looking forward to chatting with her. Just a quick update, and I don't know when this will post. Uh, it's April 10th, 2023, as I record this note. Um, a couple of exciting things. One is I have been recording the audiobook version of Grounded in Grit, Turn Your Challenges into Superpowers and Finding More Mistakes. Even though I pay editors, I add mistakes as time goes on. When I make the the, the switch, I you know edit something out, I accidentally add something in. So this is an excellent way to find one's mistakes if they are a writer is by reading their work out loud. Painful, but it is still kind of fun. Just kind of, not always. Uh, in more news, I wanted to give a huge shout out to the Tennessee Fitness Spa, Nancy Shaw, Carol Krein, also uh, uh, Rachel, whose last name is now escaping me at the Tennessee Fitness Spa. Huge thank you because I had the most wonderful, refreshing time for a few days teaching workshops on memoir and on book to movie, but also just having time to listen to the sounds of nature. It was miraculous. I came back refreshed and ready to move and renovating some of the public speaking talk points I've been doing. It just was inspiring. I'm working with a dear woman that I met in a group that I took a class with. I'm working with Brenda Welburn, and she was a podcast guest at Persistence U in recent history. Look her up because she was amazing. And she and I are going to embark on some joint speaking adventure or adventures. I meant to say venture, but Freudian slip, I said adventure. <laughs> but anyway, we both are such women from such different pasts and different 
we grew up in different communities. One would think we'd have so little in common, but the conversations we want to have are with women and just helping us remember what is it that we can agree on and why is it important that we don't get so incredibly divided. So right now we're titling our presentations. They will be on things like safety in the home, developing powerful friendships or weeding out ones that are toxic, knowing our history, those sorts of things, but from very different perspectives and yet a wonderful dialogue. All of us are looking at the world based on the lens we don't even think we're looking through sometimes, the lens of our childhood, of our families, beliefs and histories of the areas that we grew up in. And sometimes we forget that we don't have to just stay with that small lens. We can kind of defog a little bit and expand our thinking and see why other people think the way that they do. So I'm really looking forward to working with Brenda Welburn. Now, I always promised myself quietly as an author that when my tiny little book that became a movie uh, received a thousand reviews, I would celebrate with you on social media. Like that would be such a benchmark. I was, I didn't expect it might ever happen. Think if an author gets anything more than 30 online customer reviews, they feel very, very lucky. But my goal was hopefully in my lifetime, a thousand. So I was getting close to it right before I went to Tennessee Fitness Spa and I was checking out my uh, online reviews or sometimes they're not called reviews, but what is it called when you get like just the stars, but not a review? Um, You know, I was checking it out to make sure that I on the day that I got a thousand that I would do like a video or some sort of fun celebration, maybe take myself to dinner. And then Amazon has this funny thing going on now where they just suddenly, this is not just for me, it's for other authors, where they suddenly updated their reviews. And it turns out I have like almost 3000 at not, it's not because I did something wonderful. My book didn't suddenly start, start selling better it's just that they were behind or and reconfigured how they show their review customer reviews. And so, dang it, I missed it. But that's a good problem to have. So I'm really excited about that. Yippee! So if you'd like to do a happy dance with me, please do. I am so grateful for every one of you who's read the book. Also, who's taken the time to give your impression, your honest feedback. It just means the world to every author that you take the time and you do that. It does not directly sell books, but it does ultimately impact sales. So anyway, that's some fun things. Going to start soon with Victoria. I hope that you feel comfortable writing me when you need to. If you have an idea for a podcast, remember this podcast is all about persistence and it's made by and for survivors and strivers. And so I stay in theme. The best way for somebody to query me or to you know let me know they're interested in being on the podcast is to reach out through my website, lameredith.com and or beyond Podmatch and reach out that way. But they need to have listened to some episodes first and make sure that their theme fits in there. Not every person is for every podcast. So Anyway, it's fun to see who you like and who you would recommend, but I would just encourage 
anyone who's interested in querying to go ahead and do so. And to know if you haven't heard back from me, it's not because um, you aren't amazing. It's because either it wasn't a fit and I'm behind in my work or that I didn't get to it yet. Sometimes it takes months for me to get to it because I'm a one woman operation at the moment. Thanks for being here. As ever, you being here means the world. Sharing it with a friend even better. Join me on patreon.com if you feel like supporting the podcast a little closely and want some extra content and time with me. Thanks. And here we go with Victoria. Victoria Peltier, it is so great to have you. And how did I do with your last name? Very well. Thank oh, thank you. you. <laughs> Victoria and I were just talking a second ago about how I try so hard that I tend to botch names after I try too hard. So I'm so excited. I'm really thankful you're with me today on Persistence You. And I'm fascinated by your story. You grew up in Canada. And I alluded to in your introduction some of the kind of bumpy roads that you had. But you could you tell us a little bit about how did the things that you experienced as a child kind of set you up for success in a weird way to be the business dynamo that you are today. Thank you. I'm I'm really happy to be here and um and, and and pleased to be able to share my story. And I I describe when when I started started talking about my 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 lived experience and being like very vulnerable and open about it, which was probably a little over 10 years ago, maybe one-on-one settings before that. It was because I realized I had it just had to share it so people could understand my drive, my right. why. If you like Simon Sinek's viral, like start with why. And so that's that's why I started sharing it to make other people recognize that we all face adversity, some of us trauma um, as part of that, and how we choose to move forward, um, you know, can can define where we go in our lives. And so for me, uh, mine started very, very early on the adversity and trauma I experienced. I was born to a drug addicted teenage mother oh. uh, who was exceptionally abusive to me. And so I went in and out of the child welfare system and gin, given to friends after an episode uh, and, and quite abusive. I mean, pushed upstairs, downstairs, dislocated shoulders at like 18 months, two years old. I had oh. a cigarette in my eye, I wore a patch for months. And um, the family that ended up adopting me, my mom actually, uh, my mom being the woman that adopted me and raised me, um, met Julie, my biological mother in a bar, because my mom used to write for um, music magazine. And oh, well. so um, really, like, Julie called her one day, though. And so I the last words I remember her stating while I lived in her care were come and get her before I kill her. And oh, come and get her before I kill her. That was your exit. Yes. from your mother. I am so sorry. And so I, you know, left with a, you know, few clothes in my bag. She didn't even let me keep, I had nothing. I slept on a mattress on the floor. Like there was not a lot in that home. Um, but um, she forced me to leave behind my teddy bear, like the only toy I think I had. Um, and, and so my, the, the, although the most selfless thing she could have done is when my mom said to her, we'd like to take her away. We'd like to adopt her. And she agreed. And um, so that was, that, that is very much a, a big part of my why I think, you know, fight or flight, I'm a fighter. Um, Although I was hardened, I will tell you, like I um, was like extremely tough kid. I think I've always sort of, and and I can share it later, but like I had these walls up, like I was not going to let someone hurt me. Also, I might push people away before they could reject or hurt hurt me. Because I remember my mom oftentimes saying like, Tori, like we're not going to give you away. 
Um, but it was just one element for me. Like it wasn't kind of all sunshine from there, no abuse. And, you know, my mom in particular, exceptionally loving, but socioeconomically, very little money in that household, no food insecurity, always had clothes on the table, but there was no vacations. There was no school trips. There was not much else. So, and that's sort of began my journey at working at age 11. And I felt that was a place that I was deeply in control of what what I learned, the skills in the business, my work ethic and how I showed up, I could, you know, control that. And that was, you know, very much recognized and and led me to not only buy the things that I wanted, but also I started to see like the, you know, that I would started to be viewed, you know, as being successful for a lot of what I delivered from a work perspective. And so that's a lot of my, my why, and there's been lots more upon the journey, but that's kind of what's innately, you know, caused me to, in my mind, I was determined to be better than my biology or my circumstances. That's amazing. And I mean, it, it may sound awful to people who were biologically related to you, but you could do one thing or another. You could follow the footsteps or you could say, nope, I think I deserve better than than this and forage a path. And I think a lot of times people who haven't grown up with abuse think they feel empathetic, maybe sympathetic toward those of us who have. And think we must be the nicest, most bravest people in the world and are horrified to find out that we have real sharp edges because (laughs) because you don't get real soft with going through all those things and surviving, right? Right. But you can leverage it to an advantage in that way. And I'm so impressed that you did that. I mean, these skills, like what were some of the skills you relied on that helped propel you to the place you are now? And then let's talk about how that path went. Yeah, I so a, a few. I do I do believe there's an element of this kind of resilience that mm-hmm. um I, you know I've developed that's that's innate or in my DNA somehow. But also I think, you know, I remember at the time hating my mother would sit me down and she'd be like, Tori, like we need to talk about like why you reacted in this way or what why you did this and got in trouble for something, or or even in honestly my early relationships. Like I, you know, I got involved, I I rec- I grew um I quite quickly, like by, you know, age 10, I was taller than my teacher, like a fairly mature. And I recognized I got a lot of attention as a result of that. And I, it felt good to be liked and desired. And I, and that put me in some really poor situations. Right. And so my mom would sit me down and she's like, let's talk through this. And so she would get me to analyze and talk about my feelings, but really, and understand why that was driving me to make some poor choices. And I hated it as a teenager, but I do attribute her ability to get me to be incredibly self-aware and reflective and then try to model different kind of thinking and action to as a big part of what I I, I talk about as being having a healthy level of resilience. Because before it was like walls up, I'm going to push you away before you can hurt me. Uh, And then, you know, to learning to break those down over time and also learning to have very different choices because many, you know, people will not have experienced the like trauma, you know, that and abuse maybe that you and I did, but we all deal with obstacles and challenge. And right. so I believe we, you know, it is, I, I'm, I'll say, feel the emotion. Like I'm all marshmallow inside. I'm going to have an emotion, whether it's actually anger or sadness, like I'm going to have the emotion quickly, but then I have the ability to make a choice in terms of how I'm then going to move forward. And a lot of that comes from some of those early years and self-reflection and starting to try and model a different way of thinking and speaking and acting. I love that your mother was somebody who helped you stop and think. That's really incredible that you listened to a certain extent, even if you didn't want to, and, you know, really helped you 
slow down because you could have gone a totally different direction, especially by developing and getting tall really early on. You know, people treat you like an adult when you're not an adult, when you're a a taller kid, a bigger kid. So that's Mm -hmm. wonderful. When did you start knowing that you had, you, you know, some of these things that others might've considered to be hardships or deficits in some way in life became your superpower. When, when did you start realizing like, oh, this, these, I've got some strengths here from some of these experiences and weathering it. It's, um, I don't actually think I realized it, you know, till a lot later and, but there were, and it was almost the fact that there were many others. So my maturity and how quickly I grew in all areas, mm-hmm. like, I was raped at 14. Um, some of that was me wanting to get attention, Um, not my fault. Don't get me wrong. There's no victim blaming here. I just recognize I put myself in some, you know, precarious situations in part because I wanted to feel good and feel accepted and loved, but in in other part, because I was just so physically developed. Um, so it was that to like, then an abusive, like boyfriend, you know, at 19, I think. And, um, and even along the road, like my, um, you know, my first marriage, you know, when I was pregnant with our second child found out my, I was married to a woman, um, and, and she had cancer seven weeks into my pregnancy with our, our youngest one. And so oh. going through, like, I drove us home from my hospital delivery. Cause she had chemotherapy the same day. Right. Like, so just to even in the corporate setting, like 18 mergers and acquisitions, which come with lots of like reorganization and tough decisions. It's a series of all of these things. So I wouldn't say like I knew it, but I, at, at some point I feel like in my thirties, actually, I continue to be incredibly resilient. My, my be- best friend nicknamed me turtle, really tough exterior. The marshmallow inside is, is the, the, the softy turtle part. Um, and I was just like, and people started to ask me more and more as I was like coaching and it not at the personal level, but like just how, even from a business perspective. And it was at that point, this left, like being again, really like self-aware and reflective. I had to go, you know what? I, I am like super resilient. And, and I, I think it comes back to childhood, but learning how to process and deal with things. I, I, Cause I used to compartmentalize and like, I wouldn't necessarily deal with it all. And so then learning how to do a little bit more of that. That's what rec- like when I recognize that all of this pain and like adversity and challenge I've had is actually what has propelled me and allowed me to be really successful in, in different settings and particularly even in a business context. That is so fantastic. I, I think as a child and I, my professional life used to have me in contact with a lot of children who were abused, but you can become so good at forecasting your parents' moods or the family dynamic to survive when you're little before you were adopted that some of those skills kind of help you read a room like no one else could imagine. Right? <laughs> Very much so. And that is not everyone's skill set. And good for you for, for taking that and making a moneymaker out of it. Now, I mentioned that you were a COO of a a business at 24, I believe it is. Could you tell us a little bit about your path to success? Yeah, I am. So I remember my mom saying to me when I would think I was 11, she's like, Tori, you need to do better than us. And for her, that meant socioeconomically. She wanted me to, you know, get a good education, you know, and go into, you know, uh, an, a, vo- a vocation that was different than theirs. My dad was a school janitor and my mom a secretary. And for me, I mean, I, I was determined to be better than biology or circumstance. Um, so I thought I was going to be a lawyer, actually. That's what I wanted. 
jokingly, I say, I think she had me watching LA law too much with her back then. Um, <laughs> that will age me for sure. Cause most people are like, what, what is that? Um, and so that was the path. But when I was in university, I was working for a bank and I've, I've been a voracious learner. And as I said earlier, I realized in the work world, I, I could control the skills I learned um, and my work ethic and, and how I performed. And so for me, I took the opportunity to learn everything that the bank at the time offered me. I was leading in their contact center. I got promoted within six months into like a leadership role. And I went from various different areas across the banking organization, running large contact centers for them. So that when I got recruited into be that chief operating officer for um, an outsourcing organization, that was a massive stretch wool for me um, because I had been running operations in a bank and by operations, primarily contact center. I was, I had multiple other criteria they wanted, large contact center operations in financial services. And I show up, even if I don't always feel that way, fake it till you make it. I, I don't believe in, in that, except for pretending to be really confident, even in moments you're not. And so I've always kind of showed up in that way. And okay. so they hired me because I met, I had learned a lot. And by that you know time, I'd been working for, you know, in the banking world for six years and like risen, you know, to like director level. And yeah. so for me, I leaned in, leaned into discomfort because I knew there were things I didn't know in that role. Almost every bit business function in that organization reported to me, except finance. So like technology and HR and sales and marketing and things that, I didn't own in my prior roles. And, but I also had to lean into what I knew as a leader. I, I became a, my first leadership role was 14 and I was the assistant manager in a shoe store I worked at. Wow. So I just needed all the years I'd had at 10 years at that point of in like leadership roles in, 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 in different environments, like leaning into that, meaning learn my, you know, how to have the right team around me with skills that I didn't have. Right. And so that we could complement one another and learn how to build a really great um, environment and culture. So people wanted to be there. The world of outsourcing is not generally, um, a destination, uh, for people you think of like, and at the time it was like telemarketing, which is not a fun job and some customer service and some technical supports. You're getting lots of immigrants into the country or people between jobs. So I wanted to create a really good environment for people to stay as long as possible and be as productive as possible for the time that I had them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was like just leaning into the, the the little, I'll say little, but I still had many years of experience at that point um, and confidence in um, the skills I did bring to the table and learning to complement with like a, a diverse team around me. Right. Fantastic. I do believe, and I had a guest recently who kind of reinforced this. I think sometimes our early childhood experiences of not feeling safe or included or valued really makes some of us passionate as adults that everyone should find a place at the table and be celebrated. And it sounds like you worked on doing exactly that really early on. Yeah. Yeah. I I did. And so from it, it it initially stemmed um, a little bit out of my personal experience. When I stepped into that role, it had never been so like starkly obvious around like that there was huge disparity. So I'd often been the youngest, you know, having been promoted in leadership roles early, but there'd been many women around in the banking environment I was in. I stepped into that role. I was the youngest by at least two decades. I was the only woman um, and a member of the LGBT community. So I came out in my teens as being bisexual, but I was dating and and later married a woman. 
okay. you know, and, uh, and so I stepped in that role and I'm like, well, I need to do better as the leader here. So others don't feel like they're the only right. person, right? whatever, in whatever, when you think about diversity, there's all this intersectionality of what does that mean? Um, and still recognizing we're privileged. I'm a white woman born in North America. I still have a ton of privilege. Right. Um, but again, going back to that environment where in an outsourcing environment, knowing I don't have people like, again, it's not their destination job. Um, and many of them were new immigrants to the country. And so to create um, a, an environment where people wanted to perform in a job that always wasn't fun. Like I said, telemarketing and this was long before the days of like, do not call lists and things like that. And like, you know, doing visa activation calls and like, it's, it's either boring work or really tough work. And so I wanted to create a place where people had fun coming into work. And a big part of that, creating that environment means they feel a sense of belonging. They can show up, they can talk about their weekends and what they did and very different backgrounds that, you know, they're doing that. And so that was sort of my foray. And this is 23 years ago into the world of diversity, equity, inclusion, before we had like kind of these formalized employee resource groups. And it was one recognizing it. I didn't want people to feel like me, um, the only, um, and two, you know, to do create an environment that people wanted to be in that ultimately created better performance for the business. So this is where I, I often tell people, like, it's not just the right thing to do. It's really great for business to be focused on these kind of diversity initiatives. I think that's fantastic. Financially, it makes sense. Morally and otherwise, it makes sense. And it like makes sense in a lot of ways, like C-E-N-T-S sense. And it makes <laughs> common sense, you know, <laughs> makes sense in two different ways. But yes, absolutely. And oh, that's fantastic. So now you became a part of this wonderful book. You're part of an anthology. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's um, a a good friend of mine. She had actually been part of this publisher often does these kind of co-authored books and she'd done it, had a great experience. And she got me connected with a publisher who said that their next book was going to be entitled Unstoppable and about uh, change makers who dare to make a difference. And Unstoppable is like my mantra and philosophy. And when I sign off on my social media posts, it's hashtag unstoppable, hashtag no excuses, and then whatever else is appropriate for that post. But, and so I'm like, okay, this is me. Uh, And that was the first time I shared in writing this story that I'm now sharing with you. Okay. So my chapter, and actually the publishers ended up making me the first chapter, the opening for the book is called Courage to Live. And I shared a little bit more around what was, what were some of the lessons I learned um, through that journey. And it's actually what then got me comfortable standing on larger stages as a public speaker telling the story. I might've shared it one-on-one as I was coaching or in smaller groups. Um, but I'm like, you know what, go big or go home. And that, that was a big, a big help for me. You ripped off the bandaid and came clean. It sounds like you really did it. <laughs> that's right. So that's fantastic. And so you do a lot of speaking and things today, correct? I do. I do. I am. I've actually been speaking for over 20 years, but the first 10 of which were almost exclusively from a corporate standpoint, you know, at conferences where we were sponsoring events or to go and speak on a topic that I was, you know, fairly knowledgeable in. And so I've gained confidence standing on stages. I made the shift 10 years ago to become a professional speaker, paid speaker, in addition to sort of my corporate job. And that's still a lot of intersectionality. You know, I do tell my my personal story, but I also tell the lessons I've learned out of it and how I've applied it in the corporate world. Um, but, and then I also talk about things that 
I, I live and breathe in terms of like my passions and values from a work perspective, leadership, culture, diversity, and inclusion, person developing a really strong brand. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that helps both at a personal level as well as obviously professionally. Right. Fantastic. If people want to know more about you or your work, where can they connect with you, Victoria? I have a um, uh, individual website, which is victoria-peltier.com. And your audience can then connect out with whatever preferred social platforms directly out of there, whether it's LinkedIn, Insta, Facebook, et cetera. Good. Wonderful. I just celebrate all that you're doing. I mean, you have really made a big difference. And I, before we got together, I watched a couple of your videos and you know, you have such great energy. So thank you. Thanks so much for being here today, for making the time. And I just can't wait to see what you do next. Uh, Thank you so much. I love being here. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, feel free to leave a review. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, Go ahead and subscribe, and I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.